This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. I'm your host, Jill Schlesinger. Don't forget, this is where we provide unconventional insights on your money and your life. And boy, we have got a huge treat today. Not one, not two, but three Federal Reserve past chairmen. Yeah, three. So we've got Janet Yellen, Ben Bernanke, and Alan Greenspan. And they're here to help us understand monetary policy, but more importantly, what's going on in the economy. And wait a second. What? What's this, Mark? Stacking Benjamin's podcast? I'm not doing anything with those guys. Hold on. You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, the four things you must focus on in order to reach your goals of financial freedom and independence so you can live your best life. Let's get into it. T minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. Wait, what? Who put my show on the Stacking Benjamins feed? Ugh. All right, guys. Hello and welcome to the Choose FI Radio podcast. Super excited to dive into this week's content, talking about the sustainable path to FI. So many people in our community are pursuing this very intentional lifestyle and are looking for ways to pursue financial independence and parallel to that, live a lifestyle that's very environmentally friendly. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing quite well. And yeah, this should be a really good episode. Uh, I've been looking. Uh, uh, Brad, Brad, I just realized I actually, I think we're on the wrong feed. What? Seriously? <laughs> I don't I don't know I don't know how this happens, but I think we're I think this is stacking Benjamins. Who listened to that show? <laughs> I haven't learned anything. <laughs> <laughs> April Fools, guys. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and sorry about all the confusion, everybody. I just had some trouble with the dials there for a moment. Uh, but what a show we have for you today. No more April Fool in here, because on today's show, we welcome author and speaker on productivity and work-life balance, Laura Vanderkam. Plus, in our headline segment, what are full-service advisory clients looking for? We'll ask Mike Foy from J.D. Power & Associates. We'll also celebrate April showers with the Haven Lifeline, answer a letter from the mailbag, and more. And now, two guys who we were all hoping were just an April Fool's joke, but turns out they're really going to be doing this thing, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. We 
are going to do this thing. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and we're not fooling the guy who's definitely not fooling, Mr. OG. Except that I'm always fooling. You, you really are, actually. <laughs> the guy who's... I mean, everything that I do is a, is a game. Guy who's rarely serious, Mr. OG. Happy April. But when I am serious, I am damn serious. I don't know. What do I do with that? I don't know. I'm yes. Sorry. Yes, sorry. you are. Correct. <laughs> no help from the peanut camera for no. the transitions. By the way, thanks to uh, Jill Schlesinger, Jamilo Souffrant, and our friends Brad and Jonathan at Choose FI for that little chicanery. It's kind of fun. It was. It was. Kind is of it kind of weird that April Fool's Day is a Monday? Is that the joke? I think, I think that the calendar plays on all of us. Like, <laughs> it's Monday. It is funny that it's Monday and I already want to pack my suitcase and go. Like, I'm like, nope, yeah, not ready to end the weekend now. And by the way, this episode of Stacky Benjamin is brought to you by Away. Didn't see that coming, did you? Oh, nice. Away makes first class luggage when you want to get away at coach prices uh, that allow you to charge your phone on the go. For $20 off a suitcase, head to awaytravel.com forward slash SB20. Then use promo code SB20. And we just hooked you up with 20 bucks off and awesome. These are cool, cool pieces of gear. I have to tell you about my latest flight. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Sounds good. Also, thanks to MetPro for supporting Stacky Benjamins. We talked to Angelo from MetPro on Friday, and we're happy that they've come on board to be a sponsor of the podcast for a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment, a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert. Go to metpro.co slash SB. A great way to go if you're going to, as Angelo said, buy health, buy your health. We got a great show today. Laura no Vander around. No <laughs> Laura Vanderkam, Mike Foy from JD Power on Dead Shortwave. So let's get April started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first piece is written by Bruce Kelly and comes to us by way of investmentnews.com, kind of a a little uh, inside baseball publication for people in the financial services industries. Securities America, big firm, hit with lawsuit seeking $18 million in damages. Firm is dealing with the fallout from a rogue broker it fired a year ago. They fired this dude a year ago, and they're still being sued for $18 million. Listen to this. Securities America is dealing with the fallout from a rogue broker it fired last year, who was later charged with running a Ponzi scheme. The firm now faces a lawsuit alleging that a family suffered $18 million in losses after working with the advisor since 2001. In December, the broker, Hector A. May, pled guilty in federal court to running a Ponzi scheme. He faces up to 25 years in prison. According to his broker check profile, Mr. May was fired by Securities America one year ago after he was accused of stealing client assets. The Jameson family filed the complaint against Securities America, one of the largest independent broker-dealers in the industry. Mr. May in U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York on February 26th. Securities America disclosed the complaint and its claim of $18 million in compensatory damages in the annual audited financial statement it filed at the start of this month with the Securities and Exchange Commission. They didn't respond to a request for comment. Uh, here's what happened, by the way. According to the complaint, Mr. May ran the Ponzi scheme with his daughter, Vania Maybell. Over 17 years, Mr. May, with the assistance of his daughter, stole millions from the Jameson family and repeatedly provided investment advice designed to make it easier for him to steal more. 
the complaint said. The only reason May and Bell were able to perpetrate a fraud that was breathtaking in scope, the Jameson family was not the only victim, and duration was the abject failure, according to this piece, of Securities America to perform its duties. Actually, not even according to this piece, according to the to the lawsuit paperwork. The firm failed to supervise. This is what I want to get into, OG. It says the firm failed to supervise the broker properly and ignored, quote, stark red flags that would have exposed the scheme in 2003 at a time when Mr. Maid stolen only $750,000 from the family, according to the complaint. Here's the issue I want to get into. I want to get into this idea of compliance for just a little bit, because I think a lot of people listening to this don't understand why smart people in the financial planning industry aren't out talking more often. And yet you have all of these voices against them talking about how advisors are bad or, or talking about how professional advice is, isn't great, but the people that are really smart in this industry, and there's a ton of them, you never hear from them. And I think, OG, the biggest reason is this thing called compliance. What's the first thing Securities America is going to do with this lawsuit? They're going to make sure that they crack down even more on advisors. And what that means is compliance officers are going to even be more conservative, which means, oh, gee, let's say that you have a compliance officer. Your compliance officer says, yeah, you're not going to tweet. Yeah, you're not going to put anything on Facebook. Yeah, I don't think it. Instagram. Nope. Not going to go there. Like for, for a compliance officer, this becomes a big game of cover your butt. It's really lowest common denominator, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's just it's just what are the worst things that can happen with a specific thing? Or if it already happened, what's the worst thing that happens? And then assume everyone is like that and then and then manage to that level. So but, it's terribly frustrating. Yeah. And they have to. I mean, if you're being sued for $18 million in damages, you you fired the guy a year ago, ostensibly before all of this stuff came out. Obviously, there were years and years and years, and people can go back and say, okay, there were all these years where maybe the writing was on the wall. There were these red flags. I don't know the inside info, but I do know, I do know that when I was doing PR for a big company in this space, I was one of the few people that were allowed to talk. And even then I would get serious pushback about some of the stuff that I said that was nothing that really was just straightforward advice. Yeah. You probably shouldn't say that. Why shouldn't I say that? Well, because, uh, because it's just getting close to the line. Well, and some of it is really a little backwards too. Like for example, so when I was at a big firm, it was really frustrating because I mean, some of it was just language too. Like you couldn't say mutual funds. You could say investment products. You couldn't say ETFs. You could say investment solutions. And it's just weird because you'd have to use the word consider. Yeah. Instead of remember that remember like right. Writing a financial plan. You should buy two $2,500 a month of disability coverage. No, no, no. You should consider buying 25. <laughs> I mean, I guess you should consider it, but my rec- it's, it's like the doctor going, hey, so you should consider having heart surgery. <laughs> like, well, should I do it or not? You should, you should consider, consider angioplasty. It. Strongly consider. Right. <laughs> because if you decide to do it and it goes bad, we don't want to come back on us with a, with a lawsuit. Yeah. So insanely, insanely frustrating. 
but it's a double-edged sword. I mean, at the end of the day, what it, are you going to do? It's if so. You're, if you're the owner of the company, or I you're totally the, agree. You're the head honcho. You're the chief compliance officer, and you got this idiot running around for 20 years stealing money from people. You know. Yeah, that's bad juju. So you gotta you gotta buckle try to down, figure out, a, figure out a way so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, prevent the next one. Now that doesn't have a lot to do with social media. I just thought it was a good time for us to talk about social media because compliance obviously is is a good thing. I mean, I well, you look at things like like for example recommendations. So when you want to get a new roof on your house, you guys when you lived in Texas, you did a lot of home remodeling, right? And uh, you got a new roof. How did you go about figuring out which company to use? You might have gone on Yelp. You might have asked your neighbor. You might have asked a really close friend, a business associate. Like, hey, I need, you know, you gather some ideas. And then what do you do? You look them up. You, you Google them. You, you, you go to the Better Business Bureau. You, you know, you try to find out what you can. I've got these two or three people that came highly recommended. Now, what do I do? Well, in our space, and, and I get why they do it. I think it's a little, you know, I can see both sides of it. You can't have people tell other people in a public forum what they like or don't like about you. Not allowed to. Yeah. It's, it's called a testimonial. So, you know, on LinkedIn, when you go on LinkedIn and there's like, a, Joe was a great leader and he was a really great... You can't do that. You know, you can't say, oh, geez, uh, whatever, you know. And the um, bad news is, once again, there's a reason for that. And the yeah. reason is, is that you've got bad apples in the bottom that go, well, hell, it makes it easier for me to steal from people if, if yeah, I, I get, get all thousand, these. A thousand things here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Not good. Very frustrating. When I, when I switched over from the financial advising space to being completely in the financial media space, it was incredibly frustrating. You're like, mutual fund. And you like looked around and nobody <laughs> came after you. And you're well, like, well, no, Apple the- stock. The other side was there's all these financial bloggers and, and a bunch of them didn't know what they were talking about. And I'm like, how come there's no compliance on this stuff? Yeah. Like there's a wealth of crappy advice, just rotten advice online, no compliance on that. And the smart people have a muzzle on and can't say anything. The responsible people just, just, they've got a compliance officer going, nope, nope, can't do that. Can't do that. And I get it. If you. I was going to say, it's like if you move to a new state and you go to the DMV and the DMV person says, well, we've got two options. The first option is if you get a license, you're going to get a picture taken. We'll be able to record you. You have to drive the speed limit. You have to have insurance. You have to follow all these traffic rules and so on and so forth. The other option is to not have a license. And if you don't have a license, you know, there's really nothing we can do. Just do whatever you want. So what would you pick? Like, given the choice, you'd be like, well, I remember... not do the license part. <laughs> so I, I can't get in trouble ever. So I can drive as fast as I want without a license. Yep. Say whatever I want. Speed through stop signs. That's all right. I remember when I, when I was uh, just making the switch and I read this blogger, pretty big blogger talking about gold as an emergency fund. It's like gold is your emergency fund. What are you talking yes. about? It's awesome. The guy's like, well, hey, here's how this works. And he goes through this crazy convoluted thing. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then it's we a- put him on our podcast and could Vincenzo. You, could you, could you, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. This wasn't Len. This wasn't Len. It wasn't. It wasn't Len. But I just, I thought that, that was crazy. Just absolutely nuts. Happens in every industry. 
And in our second headline, J.D. Power out with their latest U.S. full-service investor satisfaction study. And man, is this thing action-packed. We've got a lot to talk about. And I'm my dad, Shortwave, to talk about it with us from J.D. Power. It's our friend Mike Foy. How are you, Mike? Doing great, Joe. Well, I'm glad you could be here with us. It, it looks like the fourth quarter of last year really kind of rattled some investors when we look at your survey. A lot of people thinking about maybe getting rid of their financial advisor. Well, you know, it was interesting because we, um, as you know, we do this study every year, but it's been a long time since the market conditions were as challenging as they were during last year's study, right? So we were in the field in December. The S&P was winding up a year where it was down over 4%. Volatility in the markets was at a four-year high. And so coming off of uh, basically a a decade-long bull market, Uh, A lot of investors were getting a little skittish, and we did see that reflected in our survey, particularly in the area of investment performance satisfaction, which was down very significantly year over year, especially among the more affluent and older investors who have more to lose and and less time to, to make up for losses. I want to follow up on that point in particular, but before we go too far, this looks at full-service investors. How do you guys define a full-service investor and a full-service investment firm so people know what we're looking at? Sure, yeah. So these are folks who basically say that they, in their primary investment account, they work with a dedicated financial advisor or team. Uh, So they're basically working with an advisor uh, at least on their primary account. Some of them may have secondary relationships that are self-directed, but their primary one, they work with a, a financial advisor or professional. And going back to your point, though, about older, more affluent advisors, it looks like from your study, if the advisor does a good job of of walking people through it, walking people through their performance, it didn't look like it was as much about performance, Mike, as it was about having an advisor who actually was going to hold their hand. No, that's exactly right. And we really wanted to look at, you know, what are the things that impacted whether or not, because obviously markets are to a large degree outside of our control, but what were the differences between clients who, while they may not have been thrilled with their investment performance, were still satisfied with their advisor? Uh, And it really came down to communication and transparency. So you hit on the explaining performance issue probably a subject that advisors would rather avoid in some cases in a difficult market, but we find consistently that clients whose advisors do take the time to explain their performance are much more satisfied, much less likely to say they're considering leaving, much more likely to say that they would recommend them to somebody. So the explanation of performance is a huge issue. And then the other things that we saw that were most critical were really related. So discussing market trends. Did they just have a sufficient overall level of communication from their advisor? Did their advisor respond to them uh, a question or a call from them the same day that they made it? And then finally, were they providing the investor with information that helped them track progress against their long-term goals? So we know that people are much less concerned about what the markets are doing this month or this quarter if they feel confident that they're still on track to achieve those longer-term goals, uh, being able to retire when and how they want to, being able to put their uh, their kid or their grandchild uh, through college. So those long-term perspectives are, that's an area where advisors can really help investors to uh, stay focused on the long-term 
uh, even when markets are uh, are choppy. I know that you guys also look at how well people feel just overall about their well-being versus the year before. How's that going now? Yeah, we do. So we ask people about their sense of their own well-being. We did see a decline, as you'd expect, given what we just talked about in terms of the markets. But it was really much more acute, again, among older investors. Millennials, for instance, about the same number of them said that they were better off versus last year. But we did see a big impact on boomers, right? So we saw three-quarters of boomers and older investors say that they were uh, either the same or worse off than last year. Uh, And that's up from 58% in 2018. So I think, generally speaking, younger folks are are less concerned because they've got a long runway before they are thinking about retirement. But those who may be in retirement or getting close to it felt a lot more vulnerable and and concerned about that uh, than they have in recent years. Yeah, that's that's troubling. Another thing I found kind of troubling is that it it seems like from the survey that people don't have a lot of faith in advisors' technology, or they're not familiar enough with all the different ways they can contact their advisor. Yeah, so I think you know the wealth management industry as a whole has been a bit of a laggard when it comes to the digital and mobile experience uh, revolution, really, that's happening in the consumer world. And there's a lot of reasons for that, I think. Uh, number one, they've been very dependent on the high-touch relationship with the advisor. Uh, it's an older demographic group of, of clients, so it hasn't been as big a focus. Uh, but uh, I think firms are beginning to recognize that it really is important, and it's something that they have to improve. You know, The expectations of investors, I think, are set by the kinds of interactions they're having with brands in other areas of their lives. Uh, And increasingly, there's more and more that people want to do and can do uh, from their their mobile device. And uh, in many cases, you know, only about one in four full-service investors said that they had used their firm's app over the past 12 months. And uh, even those who are using the mobile channel um, are finding that the least satisfying interaction channel. So it's underperforming, you know, the phone, it's underperforming online. So digital in general, but in particular mobile, is an area where uh, firms in this industry really need to focus on understanding the consumer's needs and being able to deliver a good experience for them through that channel. It's amazing how quickly that landscape's changing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it really is. And, you know, it's something that the industry has has fallen a bit behind on. And I think that's what makes it so important for them to to focus because it's a moving target, right? And and, And other firms are racing ahead with better and better capabilities. And again, consumer expectations are going up right along with them. I'm going to ask you for two takeaways here at the end, because we have two different uh, groups that listen to the show. Number one is from your study, Mike, what do you think the big takeaway is for investors? But then number two, we got a lot of advisors that listen to the show. What's the big takeaway for them? Well, you know, I think it's almost two sides of the, of the same coin in a sense. For investors, you know, if you're working with an advisor today, thinking about what is that advisor doing for you and what should you be expecting them to do? So some of the things we talked about earlier in terms of taking the time to explain things like performance and fees, helping you with setting your goals and effectively tracking your progress towards uh, achieving those goals, being responsive, having frequent, meaningful communication. Those are things that 
you should be expecting from your advisor. And so if you've got an advisor who's doing that stuff for you, great. Uh, if not, maybe it's time you, you, know, you made your expectations clearer to your advisor or, or even started looking for another one. And if you're thinking about working for an advisor, those are some of the things that you should be asking and, and probing for as you decide an advisor. What are they actually going to, uh, what should your expectations be with respect to how you interact and, and what value they're really providing for you be above and beyond you know, helping you make investment decisions? I think for the advisors, it's really the same thing. It's, you know, this is what your clients really want. This is what's going to keep them loyal, and it's going to keep them driving referral business to you. And so, again, if you're not doing these things consistently for your clients, you really need to be. Well, and when it's harder and harder to find your client with all the different channels and people ignoring advertising more than ever, I think that's that's uh, uh, well-spoken. Mike Foy, Senior Director of Wealth Intelligence at J.D. Power. Great work as usual, my friend. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks again to Mike for chatting on the shortwave. It's not shocking to me, OG, if you're an advisor and you're not really adding any adding any value. It's It's no longer about information. You can get information from anywhere. It's about helping them. Yeah. It's about helping people decide which, in, which information is relevant and which yeah. completely what's, doesn't matter. What's noise and, and how to take that and distill it into here's the few things that we need to do because of that information. Yeah. If anything. But speaking of something, by the way, that's, that's not a commodity that I used to think was a commodity. Information about finance, OG, big time commodity. <laughs> but but luggage, not the commodity I thought it was. I used to buy all of my luggage at TJ Maxx. The cheapest stuff you could get. Absolutely. And within, Wait for the wheels to fall off. Which was generally trip number three. If that. Maybe four. Yeah, my last piece of luggage I actually had, it had four wheels and I had to turn it around the other way so that I could use the two wheels that actually worked. Uh, big thanks to Away for... Supporting Stacky Benjamins, Away makes affordable, high-quality suitcases that also charge your phone. What color is your Away again? Blue. Yeah. Did you get the baby blue like I got? What do you think? No. <laughs> Thank you. I got to tell you, though, I know exactly when my luggage comes out. I know mm-hmm. exactly. So does mine. It has a little tag on it that says, oh, gee. <laughs> yours, yours says diva. Hashtag diva in it's big got, letters. Uh, one of those pink pink bands around it's all sparkly like a unicorn did you did you have that professionally done because away doesn't add that stuff i mean they they make it super sturdy and then Mm -hmm. you have somebody else slap that logo on the side glitter glue you bedazzle it i bedazzled my (laughs) my away luggage rhinestones because they cut out the middleman, Away is able to offer the perfect luggage made with high-quality materials that you can bedazzle at a much lower price. It comes in a variety of colors and four sizes. There's the carry-on. I've got one of those. The bigger carry-on. I've got one of those. The medium or the large. Away is designed the perfect suitcase to make your travel experience stress-free. Both of the carry-on bags, the carry-on and the bigger carry-on, have two USB ports and a high-capacity battery that allow you to charge your phone. I couldn't find my phone charger the other day. I had moved it from where I usually charge my device. And so <laughs> and you went in your closet and got out your... I still have my away suitcase. battery right out of the suitcase sitting here next to me. What's funny is I took it on our trip out west. What's that been now? Three weeks? 
and uh, brought it back and look at that baby still fully charged. And I've in other news, Joe forgot his battery pack for his next trip <laughs> sitting on his desk because it's sitting on the desk. I love it. It's ultra durable, lightweight to, back to the luggage now uh, made with premium impact resistant German polycarbonate. I have no idea what German polycarbonate is, but this thing is 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 rugged. Smooth ride in any direction for 360 degree spinner wheels that won't get stuck or break like my old luggage. Of course, there's a TSA approved combination lock built in to keep your belongings safe. Comes a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks away, we'll fix or replace it for life. And here's what they're going to do for all of us stackers for $20 off a suitcase. You just go to awaytravel.com forward slash SB20 and use promo code SB20 at checkout. Plus, gets free shipping anywhere in the lower 48 states. That's awaytravel.com forward slash SB20, promo code SB20. So I think our takeaways here, OG, are number number one. Be careful who you're following on Twitter and Facebook and blogging because some of the smart people aren't playing the game. A lot of the smart people not playing the game. And number two is have an advisor who's not helping you sort through the noise. Sounds like uh, statistically. Bad things might be happening to those advisors in the near future. She's back. OG, we're so happy that Laura Vanderkam coming back to the basement. I don't know that there are 20 guests I'd rather talk to than Laura Vanderkam. I'm always looking for ways to prioritize the important things in my life and Mm -hmm. figure out how to do things in a smarter manner. And Laura is somebody who studied that for a long time. Of course, her books, including Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast and 168 Hours, all bestsellers. Her works appeared in publications like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal. I first saw her in Fast Company Magazine and in Fortune. She has a brand new podcast out called Before Breakfast. Imagine that. Let's say hello. On brand. Yeah, absolutely. Let's say hello to Laura Vanderkam. And coming down the stairs to the basement, it's our friend Laura Vanderkam. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back down here. Well, I wish you were busy. I mean, you have a new podcast. You have the new book. What aren't you doing right now? Uh, I think those are the only two things I'm doing. So, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and and visiting your basement, right? That's I mean, that's know, right, right. Fills out my social calendar. Whether you call it a productivity hack, a mantra, a guideline, you've talked to so many people that have been so constructive with their time over the last several years. I'm wondering, like I'm sure a lot of people listening are wondering, what thing has stuck with you so much? It's resonated with you so much that you've now internalized it into your day, like more than anything else. Is there one thing that somebody has told you or some lesson that you've learned that that you've internalized over the last several years? Yeah, well, I mean, the the phrase I always have coming back into my head is that I don't have time really means it's not a priority. So anytime I catch myself saying I don't have time to do whatever, like, well, I know that's not true. I mean, I do have time. I may be choosing not to do it, um, but uh, we, we shouldn't lie to ourselves. We can say I, I don't have time to floss, but that's clearly not the case. I probably just don't want to, right? Um, 
the, the trouble of that, of course, is when other people say it to me that they don't have time to do whatever. I have to catch myself from uh, coming off very glib of like, well, it must not be a priority. But it is always the phrase running running through my head. Yeah, you catch yourself sounding like mom. Oh, I see. You're not prioritizing this. <laughs> You're just not prior guess. It's not very important to you. Hmm. But but in your head, then that means you do that to yourself. You you then, I would guess, then step back and go, is this really important or not? I do try to figure out, you know, what matters in any given moment. What would be the best thing for me to be spending my time on? What should I choose given all the various things I could be doing with my time? What would be most advancing me toward the life I want? And I'm not saying that. I always do choose well. Um, I have been known to fall into a pretty epic Twitter hole, all kinds of things that I just don't need to see or read or anything like that. But I can't tell myself it's not happening. (laughs) I can't uh, argue with myself that I'm somehow incredibly busy and and filling all my time well. My hole's gone from Twitter to Instagram lately. I Oh, interesting. When the rabbit hole switches, it's quite a moment. Um, (laughs) You know, my my rabbit hole used to be various online fora, I guess is the plural of forum, Um, the discussion threads people used to have on various places. Of course, most of that is now migrated to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, probably more Twitter and Instagram. I can't say I'm I'm falling down the Facebook rabbit hole all that much, but uh, I guess through Instagram, they still capture my time some way or another. I try not to do it with Instagram, just too many political rants and too many, I don't know, too much stuff that I'm like, oh, please. I like you people so much. I don't want to uh, not like you. I want to play the public snippet, the sample on Audible from Juliet's School of Possibilities for just a second, because this will lead people into, lead us into, I think, a discussion about what the points are here in the book. So here is uh, Laura reading from Juliet's School of Possibilities. October's red and gold leaves blazed bright as Riley Jenkins drove south along the Garden State Parkway. Lovely enough, she thought but even the fall colors failed to lift her mood. Nor could she summon the energy to be excited about her destination. Her firm's women's leadership retreat in the little town of Morris along the New Jersey coast. It wasn't that she resented working on a Saturday. Riley couldn't think of a Saturday she hadn't worked since landing her job with MB and Company, the consulting firm, after earning her Wharton MBA four years before. No, It was the opportunity cost of spending her Saturday with colleagues when she should be finding clients. After all, it was clients who got you ahead at MB, the most elite of all firms. It was clients who gave you power at this place she had long wanted to work. She remembered learning of its mystique in a casual conversation with a professor years ago, back when she'd been an undergrad at Indiana University, and waitressing to cover costs that her scholarship didn't. MB let you work with CEOs, prime ministers. You could solve their most important challenges and hence impact the world at a scale few other careers allowed. It didn't matter if you weren't yet 30 years old. You could earn copious cash while jetting around the world. In her first year, double what her staid Midwestern parents earned combined at their peak. Stick it out to partner and you'd take home millions. She's chasing this woman. Riley seems to be chasing this American dream of I'll have all the money. I'll get all the, <laughs> I'll get all the riches. I'll jet set around the world. I'll help the biggest people. Is that a lie? 
Well, I don't think it's truly a lie because there are, you know, happy consultants out there and it it can be a great career. The issue is that she's not really doing all that well at it. She's not doing it in a way that is, in fact, helping her solve the world's big problems because she's so buried in her inbox and trying to respond to everything instantly that she doesn't have the space to come up with the great ideas that are the reason people are emailing her in the first place. But she's right? a but but she's a super hard worker though, Laura. She's oh I'm, yeah, oh yeah. And and this is one of the reasons I I feel like I'm I'm cheering for Riley. I mean, she she's kind of, you know, doing some rather horrible things in both her personal and professional life. And yet I still feel like I'm cheering for her because she's this just ambitious, hardworking woman who's come out of you know, not the Princeton and Harvard places that everyone else who's in her colleagues are, you know, went to. Um, she's just gotten ahead through sheer hard work. But the problem is, at some point, you can't do everything. And so, you know, this has taken her for a ways. But once she's in management, she's really like, well, I can't do my job and everyone else's jobs, too. I have to figure out what's the right thing to do at any given moment. And she's just lost. I feel myself and Riley sometimes because in her personal life with her best friend, her best friend is upset with her. Her boyfriend has not to spoil the first few pages of the book, but her boyfriend has said goodbye to her. Her boss has given her the ultimatum that she's probably not going to stick around there. She's disappointing everybody. And yet her inbox continually gets... (laughs) fuller and fuller and fuller with these people she doesn't really care about that need more and more and more from her. Like it's, it's so frustrating. Who is Riley? Oh, Riley is all of us. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the thing with a fable, right? As you try to have a main character that most of us can at least to some degree identify with. And and you, you've nailed the problem right there that the people she likes have actually given up on her, whereas the people she doesn't care about want everything from her. These these expectations are sort of infinite. At one point, she looks at her inbox and decides that the number is kind of rising like seconds on a stopwatch, right? The sense of just complete overwhelm. Where does she go from here then? Well, she goes to a little place called Juliet School of Possibilities, which is a retreat location run by the mysterious Juliet, who is this you know, successful entrepreneur, happy mom, like all around calm person who seems to have just everything to gather. And when Riley shows up, you know, she sort of latches onto her. I mean, first she's surprised that this celebrity type figure is hanging around at the retreat. But if she's there, Riley's going to latch onto her and try and figure out what are her secrets. Like, how is she, you know, have a million things going on and yet seem to act like she has all the time in the world. And over the course of the weekend, Juliet shows her different visions of her life based on different choices that Riley might make. And so Riley realizes what she's going to have to do. It's funny because even in that snippet, Riley talks about working Saturdays. So so she's clearly putting in all the overtime that she thinks she should be putting in. She even talks about opportunity cost. When you use the term opportunity cost as an author, I mean, clearly Riley's already making some judgments, right? She's making judgments about what's more important, this thing or this thing. And yet it seems like there must be then, Laura, some in our everyday thinking, if Riley's all of us, there must be some misconceptions in the way we're weighing our opportunity cost. Yeah, well, she she certainly is. And what she says, the opportunity cost of spending her Saturday with her colleagues when she should be with clients, she sort of internalized that whatever the clients do, I should immediately follow that, right? Like whatever they ask, do it immediately. 
because that's sort of what's been rewarded up until that point. But the hard truth is that isn't always the right answer. And I'm not even saying that this is like a work versus personal life thing. It's just that sometimes there are things that are flashing right in front of you that seem urgent, but aren't necessarily all that important. And you have to have the wisdom to know the difference. I am a person that has been accused in the past of thinking that just working harder is the answer. And you have a great anecdote early in the book where the, she's, she's learning how to chop onions and she takes this onion and at first she's bad at it, but she's going to be good at anything. So she rolls her sleeves up and she chops the onion better and chops it better and chops it better. And everybody else is staying around with a glass of wine while she's showing them that she's clearly a harder worker. <laughs> yes. So one wonders, like, who at the dinner party is the one who's going to show everyone that she can chop the onions perfectly? But, you know, this is her personality. She is not going to be outworked. And she asked to be shown how to properly chop an onion. And by gosh, she is going to chop that onion. So, you know, this, this there are certain personalities that are like this. But the truth is, once she figures out how she might wisely direct her time. I mean, she's going to be unstoppable because hard work is great. Hard work alone is insufficient. Hard work accompanied with the wisdom to know what is the right thing to do at any given moment is where success is born. Let's turn our attention to Juliet in the book, who is this uh, mystical, fantastic woman, this great character who seems to have infinite amounts of time and energy for people like Riley that she barely knows. Who is Juliet? I wish I knew her. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? She is very much a made-up character, but it's putting together many of the best traits that I've found over the years in people I have interviewed who are just incredible with their time. You know, I've I've written in some of my nonfiction about uh, this executive I in- interviewed once, and I. This was early in my career. I'd sort of started our conversation the way I often did, like, oh, I won't take much of your time. You know, I was trying to learn about her secrets of astonishing productivity. And she basically just laughed. She said, Laura, I have all the time in the world. And, you know, what what she obviously she didn't. Nobody has all the time in the world. But what she meant is that she had chosen to speak with me. And once she had made that choice, that was what she was going to do. And she was going to give it her all. She was going to have a great conversation. She wasn't going to be racing off to the next thing. She wasn't going to be looking at her watch the whole time. And I think that's such a gift to have enough courage of your convictions that once you have decided to do something, you just do it. You're not doing something else the whole time. You're not constantly thinking you should be elsewhere. There obviously needs to be a filter on what you choose to do. If that woman was choosing to do that with you know, hundreds of people a day, that wouldn't work. But again, she knew that once she had chosen to do something, it was the right thing for her to be doing. And I, I thought that was pretty profound. Clearly, early in the book, you have this... Uh I, I don't know, yin and yang of Riley, who's multitasking, working her butt off. She's thinking about four or five different uh, different obligations she has at the same time, doing none of them well. Juliet's doing just one thing, focusing on the moment that's at hand and doing nothing else and seems to be handling it much better. Yeah, she does. And Riley is just like, what on earth is going on? Because as Juliet is taking her around the school and, you know, she's just meeting by chance various employees and every single person Juliet is talking to. She has something that's like completely understands their career development, where they are, like what would be the right thing to say to them to make them very excited and motivated and like want to keep working. That's not random. You know, that's somebody who actually thinks about Uh, nurturing those relationships. Whereas one of the reasons Riley's on her way out at her company is that she's 
so aimless with her teams. I mean, she just wants them to do everything and then it's never right because she hasn't figured out what's the right thing for them to be doing. So they're overworked and they feel like they're not making a difference too. It's just the worst of all worlds. So uh, there's a lot to be learned there. I noticed that career, Julia, early on talking about uh, somebody who works for her going to something that's going to clearly make this woman's career better. The woman's all excited, but Juliet isn't just giving her mindless tasks. She's, she's taking her I don't know. I feel like I feel like she's delegating, but it's always delegating with a purpose where Riley is a uh, sprinkler system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, she's um, one of the problems is that Riley has no idea how to delegate. I mean, partly because I'm sure she's always felt like she can do things better than anyone else, which is probably true, but is really irrelevant because you can't do everything. Uh, so on some level, you have to choose. And at, at one point, uh, you know, Riley is, is talking about all her unread messages and Juliet says, yeah, I might have 20 24,000 unread messages in my inbox. Who even knows? But Kylie's looked at Kylie's her assistant. Kylie's told me none of them matters. So it's all good. And, uh, you know, Julia, Riley's just like, wow, you know, I, I have an assistant. I've never really thought about having that person look at my email, but why not? Like, why, why is her ability to look at every email instantly somehow a, a great career skill? I don't, I don't know. So it's, uh, yeah, we, these are all skills we have to learn over time. Well, I immediately wrote that one down. Just so you know, Laura, I'm like, I'm like, ask Tina to look at my email before I do, please. Yes, yes, please. (laughs) No, and it's so, I mean, people, I wonder sometimes why people don't delegate more. And I think it's just, you know, fear on some level that other people won't do things as you do them, which is true. They won't. In many cases, they'll do them better. In some cases, they might not. But in some cases, it doesn't actually matter because that thing doesn't need to be done as you would do it. And you only have 24 hours a day. So we cannot do everything ourselves and figuring out how to use the tools at our disposal, one of which is other people, is really how success happens. Another great author we've we've had on the show before, Austin Kleon. I don't know if you're familiar with Austin and uh, Steel Like an Artist, talks about that, about where inspiration comes from and using that inspiration, not like a thief, but like somebody who's riffing and making something your own and really paying homage to things. And as I, as I read Juliet's School of Possibilities, I was th- thinking, A, this is my favorite way to learn. I learned so much more through this parable, but but then I think back to the one minute manager. I think about the e-myth. I think about in my life, uh, raving fans. I think about these different books that have impacted my life. I'm wondering as an author, which parables besides Juliet's school of possibilities have really impacted your career and, and your life? Well, I wasn't necessarily a student of the fable genre um, when my uh, editors noted that they were looking to commission some of these. Um, my my business publishers and the people who did do some of like Spencer Johnson's books, for instance, and and so they've got a lot of familiarity with the concept. So anyway, they sent me a whole library of them, and I really became a student of the fable genre. And and some of them are definitely done better than others, but I, I've definitely found stuff like the Go-Giver series is quite good. Uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team is popular for a reason. I think that it really helps a lot of people get a sense of how they can work together and, and achieve great things. So those are some that have definitely, you know, been great. And, you know, for, for all people make fun of who moved my cheese, you know, it had an impact on a lot of people, clearly. And and I would I would note that the, the sequel to it, which is actually published posthumously, is quite good on its own it's got a little bit more, it's called Out of the Maze. 
Dr. Johnson had been working on it for a while and, and then they took what he had and polished it and published it afterwards. And I think it's got some interesting insights. So people might want to check that out too. I never even knew there was there was a follow-up. To there was a my- follow-up. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if, uh, you know, where it was, where it stood, because he he died, you know, not too long ago. And I, I think his ending came relatively quickly. So I'm not sure what stage it was in at there, but but they've done a great job with it. And um, yeah, so it's called Out of the Maze. Well, I'm a slow reader. It takes me forever to get through books. I flew through this this last weekend. I learned so much from Juliet's School of Possibilities. Where do we get it, Laura? Well, anywhere books are sold. Um, so, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local independent bookstore. Um, you can check it out at your library if you want to save some money. <laughs> so all great ways to do it. But I hope people will give it a, a read. And if you'd like to come visit me and talk about it, my website is lauravandercam.com. And I would be remiss before we let you go if I didn't mention the new podcast. Congratulations on joining the new podcasting community. Yeah, well, I... So Before Breakfast just launched. Um, it's a short daily podcast with a productivity tip. So hopefully people will build it into their morning routines. You know, you're making your coffee, listen to a productivity tip, or you're waiting for the bus, listen to a productivity tip and take your day from great to awesome. It is awesome. What's funny is, is as we're recording this, you are number five in all of business. So I don't know oh, if exciting. I don't know if you've learned to uh, watch the charts a thousand times I a day. Have not. I, now I'm going to have to go look. <laughs> know, <right? laughs> but thank you for just sending me down another internet rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, well, anything I can do. Thanks for spending. <laughs> thanks for spending a few minutes with us, Laura. Thanks for having me back. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and enough of this trivia thing. It's time to debut our little mini podcast, Doug's Super Hilarious Joke of the Week. You two can revel in my incredible ability to bring the comedy if you just subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. We'll have a trailer for that in just a moment. A mentor of mine used to talk about the time box, and he'd talk about how you can either expand the box or you can make better use of that time inside of the time box. And that has always stayed with me because the first thing we always want to do is expand the time box. But then you find that you're not as productive inside of that as possible. So as a leader, you already get that, I think. You get that it's not about the number of hours in the day. It's about productivity. And the same thing goes for your health and wellness. It's not fundamentally about what to eat or how to train, although those are important pieces. What MetPro focuses on is the time management piece, working smarter, establishing a game plan specific to your goals and your lifestyle needs. MetPro has a unique and important point of view on what true net worth actually means. Their experience helping CEOs and industry leaders meet unique challenges provides them with remarkable insight on anybody who wants to see a greater return on investment in their life. Angelo put this phenomenally well. Angelo Poli the CEO of MetPro, when he was on on Friday, said it's like any investment, buy your health, sell weaknesses. It's a powerful analogy. And here's what I like about what MetPro does that makes them different. They have a team of experts. So you have a coach who guides you through a personalized nutrition and fitness strategy and educates you on how your body responds to macro and micro adjustments to your fitness, your nutrition, your daily routine. So you're not just out there on your own with an app or some written instructions that your buddy's doing, you've got somebody in your corner who knows what they're talking about. MetPro's proprietary science, technology, and techniques have already helped thousands of executives 
and business leaders learn how to optimally manage their health and achieve their performance goals regardless of extensive travel and demanding schedules. They work with people that already have a demanding life. They're making it easier by helping you clean up your health and wellness plan. And this whole idea is based on your metabolism because your metabolism is always changing and adapting to your environment without identifying a starting point. It's hard to determine the right strategy. So they use metabolic profiling. That's what MetPro means, metabolic profiling. And it's a process that allows them to get a baseline to see exactly how your body's responding against a very specific set of variables. Imagine that we're going to use science instead of gut feelings to figure out your health. Same way you would with your financial picture, right? Use numbers and stuff. MetPro's experts are trained to take those results and translate them into simple, actionable steps for what you should eat, how you should train, what your strategy would be. So follow OG, who's going through the MetPro program right now. It's been exciting listening to OG talk about OG. And of course, this dude's on planes constantly and cleaning up his lifestyle to make much better decisions when it comes to health and wellness. For your complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert, head to metpro.co. That's metpro.co. Don't go to metpro.com. That's something different. Metpro.co slash SB. And that'll tell them that OG and I sent you, as mom says. Hey there, trivia fans. If you're here for today's trivia answer, wake up. We had no trivia on this podcast because I'm moving up from trivia. Here's a snippet of episode one of Doug's super hilarious joke of the week podcast. Welcome to Doug's Awesome Joke of the Week. I'm your host, Doug, and I hold the world record for the best joke teller in the northern half of Oakland County, Michigan. This is the show where I'll tell you not three or two mediocre jokes, but just one joke told remarkably well. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great if I really made that podcast? That'd be funny. See ya! Tug made a podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah. Maybe. Happy April Fools. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline. Get serious again, and we'll tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. And today, our friend Eric, we met Eric at the Detroit meetup. Eric said the two things he values most, OG, are target date funds and annuities. Clearly a guy who knows us. He must sell them. <laughs> Actually, that is good to have that today for April Fool's Day. Fantastic. It's actually your family and your time. And the good news is, with all the additional huge fees that you're paying, with most target date funds and most annuities, not all, you'll end up out of your house and having to live with your family. And have lots of time because you don't have any money. Use all your time at the job. 
But that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple and affordable. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. You'll find the application is simple and online. You get instant coverage decision. Policies are issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, who's more than 160 years old. And of course, as I mentioned, affordable prices and super customer support. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Royale. Say hi, Royale. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Royale from Central New York. Been listening for about a year. And just like the rest of your listeners, have learned absolutely nothing but there's still hope. I'd like to get your thoughts on my current retirement plan and savings strategy so you can tell me what I'm doing wrong. My husband will have two pensions, which we estimate will equal about 50% of his current income. We also have 401k and IRAs that equal about $250,000, but at our current level of savings, employer match, and modest compounding interest should end up somewhere in the neighborhood of $700,000 to $1 million in the next 12 years. We have no credit card debts and are currently making double payments to our car loan. We haven't worried about paying down our mortgage since we're planning to sell the house this year and downsize, but I've been putting all of our extra money into a savings account with the intention of paying cash for a piece of land to build on if we find one before we sell the house. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. What haven't we thought of? Do we need to put more money in retirement? Should I be using a Roth retirement vehicle through my employer? I love your thoughts. Love the show, guys. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the question, Royale. And uh, a lot there, OG, to take in. What do you think? Let's punch holes in Royale's plan. The funny thing with this is that there's... A whole bunch of stuff going on, but we have almost no data still. You know what I mean? Like a couple of pensions provide 50% of my husband's income. Was your husband a urologist and makes $800,000 a year? Or is your husband um, working on the line at Ford and makes $32,000 a year? Those are different things. Retirement planning is really about a function of how much you want to spend. You know, there's plenty of people out there who with Social Security and a few thousand dollar a month pension and 700 grand in the bank will make a very adequate lifestyle in retirement. Yeah. If you've got a very frugal lifestyle, two of those two, two pensions that provide that much, you know, initially 750 to a million, if you don't have a pension, probably isn't enough money. But for some people, 750 to a million is, and you add, you know, a little bit of Social Security juice in there, you get a little pension. You know, the question isn't whether or not you have enough money. It's whether or not you can maintain the lifestyle that you want slash are accustomed to with that amount of money. You know, if your pensions total, let's say $4,000 a month, you got another $2,500 a month from Social Security, that's $6,500. And then you've got a million bucks in your 401k. You know, that's like another 3000 a month, give or take. So you're talking about, you know, maybe nine or $10,000 in income in the, you know, in your first year gross income in your first year of, uh, of retirement per month. But if your Amex bill right now is 13 grand a month, you're screwed. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people who would say $10,000 a month is more than adequate. I mean, more than adequate. There's an article in, I think financial samurai had it. It's been out in different places, wall street journal and stuff about the couple that makes half a million dollars a year in 
quote unquote, doesn't have enough money. But we did that uh, story, what, a month ago about Cardi B finding Mm -hmm. it hard to live on half a million dollars a year. Half a million. I think she's like half a million a month or something, wasn't it? I I don't remember. It was a bundle of money. (laughs) You're like, it's all the same, isn't it? Once you get over any number above half a million in any time period is more than (laughs) adequate. It should be. (laughs) Well, but remember our takeaway from that is that she's got a lot of expenses that the average person doesn't have, right? Just Just because she's got... You know, these people she has to employ, all of these things that she has to do. Now, don't get me wrong. She also, I'm sure, enjoys herself. Giving her a little credit, taking her and comparing her to the person you mentioned, you know, working at uh, Ford. Mm Mm-hmm. Apple and yeah, orange. A, it totally is a function of what you're spending. I mean, here are the things that I was thinking of. I, I would make sure that we really try hard to get into retirement without owing anybody any money. There's n- no law that says you don't have to have your mortgage paid off, but... But, you know, it sounds like you're selling your house, you're going to downsize, but then you mentioned having some land, maybe you build a new one. Those are all going to be extra expenses. But if you can get all that knocked out in the next decade or so before you retire, that's fine. Same thing with the cars. You know, I agree. Pay as much as you can on it and get those knocked out. I mean, you're really in that final push. So, you know, being at 250 today doesn't sound like a whole bunch of money, but you're right. The power of compounding, if you're saving four or $5,000 a month, you know, you're both maxing out your 401ks and getting some decent matches, it can turn into 750 or a million, depending on how the market returns. So, so really now is the time to be, be hyper-focused on it. All the rest of this stuff is fringe things, you know, Roth versus traditional, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, that's at the margin. I would be taking care of the big rocks right now. Like, Let's knock out all the debt. Let's make sure that we're saving as much as we can. And then understand what what other variables there might be on the back end of, you know, whether or not you can delay retirement a year, you know, if things aren't exactly right, that sort of thing. Or if it's a hard and fast, you got to be out at 62 type deal. The successful planning, Royale, is always about beginning with the end in mind and working backwards to today. What What's the difference between what I'm doing today and where I want to be? And uh, what do I do then to bridge that gap? Now, just to answer a couple of your questions, which I agree with OG are kind of on the fringe, but not only making double car payments that loan, I would also then begin building a fund. So I keep making those car payments to from now on buy your cars with cash. Yeah. Number two, I just like tax diversification in general. So without knowing more about your situation, knowing exactly how much to put into a Roth versus traditional and getting more technical about it, I just like having money in different tax pots so that I've got money that's pre-tax that saves me cash today, money in a Roth that's tax-free money down the road, and money for flexibility that's in neither. I like having all three. So if you don't have much in a Roth, I would start that. So those are two of the things, not knowing how much the pension is compared to what you want to live on. I think to OG's point, bam, is, is the, is the linchpin to this whole thing. Thanks again, Royal, for the question. And uh, by the way, you know what, just overall though, OG, two pensions, paying off the car loan, focusing on a, a, a million in the bank. Yeah. Focusing on having, having a plan moving in the right direction. I agree. Normally we'd have a letter from the mailbag, but I'm looking at the clock and unfortunately we're out of time today. Thanks to everybody, by the way, who's left us a question and we'll be back Wednesday to answer more of them. Last thing before we shoot this thing over to Doug to finish off today's show. Speaking of putting a cap on the 
end of this show. OG's putting a cap on the end of uh, the first half of this year. So if you're looking for good help in your corner and want to get on the list of people he talks to this year about what it would take to add his team to your team, head to stackofedgements.com forward slash OG for more on, on that front. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, man, take it from here. What should we have learned today? So what did we learn today? First, take some advice from Laura Vanderkam. Feel like you don't have enough time for the important people or tasks in your life? Maybe that says more about your priorities than your time. Second, from Mike Foy at J.D. Power, we learned that a good advisor explains why things happen and how you should react, if at all. If you're an advisor and you aren't shepherding your clients, get ready to say goodbye to them because the data shows they're ready to drop you. But the big lesson? Don't launch your new podcast without calling Jimmy Fallon first. Hey, how come nobody called Fallon? Not even Conan? What kind of huge podcast launch is this anyways? I mean, God, we got to make a huge splash. Where's the fruit tray in the green room? Wait, where the hell is the green room? We are not ready for this. Special thanks to Laura Vanderkam. You can find her site at lauravandercam.com or through our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Thank you to Mike Foy from J.D. Power & Associates for joining the fun today. You'll find Mike at jdpower.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show, part of the show that doesn't exist. I've been forgetting this over and over and over. This is no April Fool's joke. Just a good old boys, never meaning no harm. Remember I'm not that? Sure where this is headed? We did this a few weeks ago, and then we said we give it. We give a shirt. We give some swag to oh, somebody yeah. under thirty years old that can get that reference. Got it. We had a bunch. Nice job, oh, okay. stackers. Once again. Like they did last week, stepping up, showing just how brilliant this team is. But just before we we recorded, put everybody in a hat. Kelly O'Quinn. Kelly, 
if you're listening, shoot me an email saying, Hey, heard that I won and uh, you're taking on the swag. Gertrude will get you the, get you the code, but you've been listening to an interview. You know, who's that one of the better interview listens around right now is Greg McCune, the essentialism guy. Have you ever read the book Essentialism? Mm-mm. Oh, dude. Today. Download it today. Put on your notes to download your iBooks today. It's amazing. It's like, it's definitely one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books. That one and like, you know, Stephen Pressfield's War of Art. War of Art is. I tried to read uh, Gates of Thermopylae. It's like so hard. There's like so many big words in it. I'm like, this is the same author that wrote like little paragraphs. Like, I want the like the one page life lesson. I don't want the... Uh, That's Pressfield also? Yeah. 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 But yeah. back to Greg McCune, what's what's kind of the takeaway or what's the big, big aha? Uh-huh? He's just good to listen to. Well, first of all, he's... Um, is he British? I don't know. I, I'm terrible with accents, as you know. Good I might Austrian, so... But I hate it when, when Australians actually come to the basement. You use the Austrian joke on Australian people. I had to do it. It's so bad. And I felt the eye roll from, from 10,000 miles away. Yeah, you're, the, you're, you're the person who thinks it's funny. I'm sure she did, too. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, in her response, she she acted like she thought it was funny. I didn't, I didn't see the response. But uh, but he's just got some really good interviews. You know, the idea, just kind of like Laura's stuff, is you got to prioritize the things. Like, you're, you're making decisions. And the decision to go... Hey, I'm going to say yes to everything or uh, the decision to be overscheduled or the decision to not exercise or whatever. Like those are all decisions also, even if they're in the background. And essentialism is really about like prioritizing the things that are important to you. I think one of the quotes in there that I liked was you need to prioritize your life or somebody else will. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many times do I abuse your schedule? You abuse mine, you know, until there's a point, right? When you go, Hey, I've got this other thing that trumps you. And because we've worked together a long time, it's not disrespectful. It's not, you know, whatever it is, just is what it is. You're like, hey, I've got family in town this weekend. I won't be able to do this thing then. So we have to we have to figure out a different way to do this thing. Or not do it at all. You know, whatever the project is or something like that. You know, and it goes to client relationships, it goes to personal relationships, it goes to, you know, how many times you're you're pretty famous young man. How many times do people call you and ask you for help? Hey, I'm just thinking about getting a podcast started. Could you give me like five minutes and tell me like what to do? And you're like, dude, five minutes. It took me 747 episodes to figure out what to do. <laughs> you know, and I'm still not figured it out. Right. You're like, Maybe next episode. Yeah. Or what, what equipment do I use? You're like, dude, that's not a five minute conversation. It right. depends on your setup. It depends on, you know, well, well, and it's funny that you say that because, as you know, that's also the wrong conversation. I like th- there's a great podcaster, Lou Mangello has a Disney podcast. I remember Lou on the main stage maybe four years ago at a big industry conference saying, asking what equipment to use is like asking Michelangelo which brush he used to paint the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. Oh, is that we a hardly, number? We is hardly that- suppose that this podcast is the equivalent of Michelangelo's uh, Sistine Chapel. I, I know. I Yeah, that sounded a little egotistical. I didn't, I wasn't inferring that in any way. I'm just saying it's the wrong question. There are a lot of questions before what's the appropriate equipment. Right. But you're not obligated to answer those. No, right. And if you do, you want to, 
Well, and like Laura you, said, but you can't. Like Laura said, it's a value judgment. We don't link those enough. We don't take the the time to yeah. step back and go, what's my priority here? Yeah, you're buying it. You're buying something. You're yeah. buying, you know, buying or selling, and you yeah. get to pick. So I got to listen to that. I definitely have to listen to that. I most recently was on Tim Ferriss, but he's in other places as well. Yeah, and I listen to a lot of Tim Ferriss when I run. The Audible that I'm listening to right now is Tony Shea's Delivering Happiness. And Zappo- doing a terrible motivation job, I can tell. I'm listening to Tony Shea's Delivering Happiness. Why did that sound horrible? That's not like I was bored. <laughs> womp womp. It is it is one of the it is seriously one of the best, best books. Uh, and it's already known as one of the best books. And I'd heard people tell me yeah. about it, that it's one of the best books. And I can't stop listening. It's absolutely gripping. I you think feel it's, a little rage against the machine when somebody says like, this is the greatest thing. And you're like, okay, yeah. Yeah. No, I, to it. and I have to say, I mean, that book is, is that book's been out for how long? It's been out for a long yeah. time. And, and I'm like, yeah, I'll get to that someday. And I finally yeah. at a conference had a guy say, seriously, it's, it was my number one book on customer service. And I'm like, I love reading about good customer service. And so I started it and Gave it, it is, it, it's, it's phenomenal. Delivering happiness is yeah, maybe I'll get to it. clearly a must read. Yeah. I have to tell you about my recent travel. So I was at an industry conference for an investment company that we use quite a bit. It was all media personalities and a uh, small group. And we get done on Thursday, I'm sorry, Wednesday, kind of two o'clock, two thirty. And my flight, I fly to LA a ton. So I know that the flight I take home is the 550 flight to DFW. It's a dreamliner because that's why I take it because it's a big plane. And uh, so it's the 550 flight, whatever. So I grab my phone, look at it real quick. And on your American app, it tells you what time they're boarding and what time the flight is. And the first thing I see is 505. And I'm like, cool, that's the boarding time. I'm like, wow, it's pretty early, but it's a big plane. Because sometimes they'll go like 40 minutes early yeah. for like those big sure. 787s or something. Like, ah, oh, whatever. So a couple of people are hanging out. We don't have to go to the airport yet. So we go to have a cocktail. So I have one, have two. <laughs> oh, Keep no. going. Oh, no. And, and I look at my phone. I'm like, oh, it's four o'clock. I'm in Santa Monica. I know it takes at most 45 minutes to get to the airport from here. Oh, no. Seven miles. I can damn near run it, but not in the condition I was in. And... uh so order up the Uber, say my goodbyes, finish my drink, go to the bathroom, go downstairs, get in the Uber. Guy's going, hey, you're going to the airport, right? I'm like, yep. He's like, what time's your flight? And I said, uh, six o'clock. He goes, ah, oh, plenty of time. He goes, what terminal? I says, terminal four. He goes, you know all this? I said, yeah, I have to take this flight a lot. He said, why don't you double check real quick? Just to make sure it's terminal four. Because I'd hate to drop you off at four and it's really five, you know, whatever. Okay, fine. And I'm monkeying on my phone. I'm having a good time. The conference is awesome. And, you know. I had a few pops at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. We've established that. <laughs> I look at my phone and it says 5.05. And I'm like waiting for it to refresh the time of departure. I'm like, okay, I got it. That, you know, because I don't necessarily oh. board at 5.05. Oh, no. Plane leaves then, at 5.05. And, and then it refreshes, boarding at 4.30. Oh. <laughs> it's, now, it's now 4.15. And I'm pretty much two blocks from downtown Santa Monica going, Oh, hell. So I look, I kind of glance up ahead and I look at the Uber's ways ETA. It says ETA 450. And I'm like, okay, 450 from the door. Like, that's what time he drops me off at. (laughs) 
And I look at the term, the gate. I got to go to gate 48 Bravo, which is the end of the terminal. It's not the of first course. one, of course, not the second one, the third one, no, not no, no, the fifth no. one, not the ninth one. It's the one due south, right? R- the very end from where you run in. I made it. So from the time that we ended, I called American. They said, you have until 455. We'll close the doors 10 minutes before the plane departs. I said, well, can you call the gate agents? Tell my mom, away. I'll be there. She goes, no, we don't have a way to do that. So I tweeted American. And I said, hold the plane on my way. And they tweeted back. They're like, we're boarding. <laughs> it's 4.30. We're boarding. Hurry. So I called American back again. And uh, she goes, "Where are, are you at the airport? Are you stuck in security? I'm like, yeah, let's just not worry about where I am at the present moment. Let's just focus on I've got until 4.55. And so those of you who know LAX, up the escalator, use clear, which Saved your bacon. If you don't have it, there's only like eight people in line at pre-check anyway. The clear people are like, dude, there's eight people. I'm like, hurry. And then I made every mistake, had water in my bag. My belt went off at the, you know, it never goes off. I never, I'm smart enough not to keep water. Ran through 450, made it. Took five, three minutes. Five minutes to spare. Yeah. It took me three minutes from the time he dropped me off. We dro- He dropped me off at 447, three minutes from the door of the Uber to on the plane through security with clear. By the way, that kind of crap only happens when you've had a couple. Well, I'm always pushing it right to the end anyway, because I don't, you know, I've no interest in hanging out at the airport for, you know, they're like, you need to be at the airport two hours before. And I'm like, uh, not me, you know, but the trade-off I read, I've read somebody talking about this. The trade-off is once or twice a year, you just have to be okay with missing that plane. Yeah. There's going to be a time where you're going to go, Hey, I always get here at seven o'clock for my seven thirty-five flight. And today's the day they only have one security line open. And you're like, well, looks like I'm not making it. There it you goes. Know? So um, anyways, if you don't have clear, get clear. I like. Actually, don't. Screw you people. Uh, the fewer <laughs> the people, the better. <laughs> no, eighty bucks a year. It's amazing. If no. you travel at all, you have to have it. Yeah, if you travel a fair amount. I'm liking my pre-check. But that it saved us at, dude, when we, when we flew home from Denver for spring break, there was probably... Gosh, it's hard for me to estimate. If there were 400 people in line at pre-check for the 7 o'clock flight in the morning from Denver to Dallas and spring break, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it was out the door. It was wrapped around the building. I mean, yeah. there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people in the regular security line. Clear? I, you just skip everybody. You're that guy. When I was in Orlando for PodFest Expo, the regular line they have a they have a big sign that says yeah. what the expected wait was and i think it was 55 minutes for yeah. security god bless america um and i had tsa precheck which cut that baby to 15 minutes uh-huh. but but the clear line was right next to me and that was a Nobody super it. it was a super highway yeah well cuz you go up you get scanned retinal or or fingerprints and then you skip everybody in precheck or if you don't have precheck you skip skip everybody in the regular line yeah you know what I mean? You you still have to go through security. You still have to do all that stuff and get your bag checks and all that. But you skip the waiting part. It's uh, anyway. It's crazy. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you, and as a Marine. You can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. 
this Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.